Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Welcome everybody. Um, we haven't done a political episode in a long time uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, I assume one of those reasons is fatigue. There's just so much to keep up with. And how many political podcasts are there out there? It's like we're not only keeping up with what's actually happening uh, with the Democratic uh, nominees or with the president. We're also trying to keep up with every podcast that's trying to keep up with the Democratic nominees <laughs> and the president. Uh, so every once in a while, we like to take a step back. But can't look away for too long uh, because, you know, the fate of our nation hangs in the balance, et cetera, et cetera. So we wanted to get together our crack panel of political analysts, uh, except here we don't yell at each other. We yell, but we don't yell at each we other. We might yell. We might. We do. We do. There might be a little bit of yelling. Okay, you're right. But I don't want to miss It's not me. off the table. I'm open to it. I just mean, you know, we don't have like the typical shouting fests that you encounter with um, pundits on cable news. You know what I mean? Uh, or at least I hope we don't. I don't think we do. We don't. We're more clever than that. And we don't really have a side. Uh, or at least, you know, I'll speak for myself. I don't really have a side. Uh, so welcome. Welcome all. Uh, tonight's focus uh, will be on the field of Democratic nominees, those who are still left. We've lost a few people, but somehow it seems like we haven't lost enough. Have we? We'll talk, have we'll we? talk more about that. I mean, I just keep hearing every week that we're losing you're like this this person dropped out that person dropped out and then you look at who's there it's like well who was here before on the stage how many were there before all right so let's get down to it let me start off by welcoming our guest uh travis johnson has been on the show many times before we love travis one of our favorite guests and one of our favorite political commentators because he keeps his tongue squarely in his cheek uh yeah well it's refreshing you know uh, and with us, of course, as always, is our producer, our fearless leader, Eming Piancai. Uh, a pleasure to have you here, Travis. I'm glad that all three of us are here to, to have this discussion. I, I'll start, Travis, as I promised that I would, um, by reading a selection of your live reports from watching tonight's debate. Uh, so we're recording on uh, October 15th, the night of the Democratic debate. It's still going on now. Unbelievably. I mean, it's like still I've, got it on, going on. I've got it on mute. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, I, what am I actually supposed to glean from this? <laughs> uh, but here are some of my favorites. I think this was the first your first post from today, Travis. Uh, it reads, there are still 12 Democratic candidates. Sigh. <laughs> That, that's it. That was the, that was the first reporting. How and are there still twelve? How? 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 I, I, all this talk about whittling down candidates. Well, uh, doesn't feel very. It's October. Down. How is it? Twelve. <laughs> it's twelve of them still. I don't need this many dates to know if I like someone. Like, let's narrow this field. That's true. That's true. Yeah, there's still not like you wouldn't have a field of 12 people where you're like, I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing 12 people now. I'm not really sure which one I'm into. It's like, yeah, at that point, you're at least down to three. You know, you're not wasting like, a lot of time having right, bad like, dinners with people at this point. Yeah, you're clearly side pieces at this point. We know who we're committing to. Come on. <laughs> wrap this up. Wrap this up. <laughs> So who are we committing to, Travis? Are we, are we looking at numbers? What are we looking at here? Is it are you talking about front runners? It's gonna be a Biden, Warren, uh like basically the oldest, whitest people are gonna be the exactly. ones. Exactly. That's, That's what, okay. I really think that is obvious at this That's point. Kind so of I don't my know. Takeaway. I, I throw Bernie why on that we're list doing too. this. Why like choose your vice president and let's like let's rock. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would like to think that we're doing this because at the beginning when this all first started, it feels like eons ago. Uh, it was a very diverse group of people who all seemed to have a shot. You know, I think at that time, um, and, and I'll spare everyone, I'll, I'll read your, your Beto <laughs> post in a second. But at that time, it's like, oh, Beto O'Rourke, young guy uh, from Texas, from a red state. That's refreshing. Um, we're like, oh, Kamala. You know, like she's like a young woman of color, youngish woman of color. Um, and even like, you know, Mayor Pete, you know, people thought like, all right, also a young guy, very Stop. smart. 
gay. I know you're not. I know you're not a fan. I'm going to go ahead and I'll read all your posts eventually so that people know where you come from. Not that it's not clear already, but I think in the beginning it felt like that, like that mixed in with, you know, your, your Elizabeth Warren and your Bernie. You're like, oh, cool, man. Like, you know, Bernie could be like the energy and the force and, and bring people together the way that he did four years ago. And then we can kind of take that energy and put it behind a younger person or a person of color or a woman or, and now as the numbers are emerging, and as you say, it's done. You know, we got three people essentially, and a bunch of side pieces. Uh, it's a little disappointing. <laughs> like I don't have, you know, I like Elizabeth Warren. It just feels me. Uh, it just feels like we're leading people on, and they're getting bitter, and they're snapping at the people who really have a chance. And I'm like, what's the value of this? Isn't what's, what's happening at this point is that people are auditioning for uh, the vice presidency and also cabinet positions. I mean, I feel right. like this whole time, like Kamala's been running for attorney general from the start. She's like attorney now. general. Kamala's yes. attorney general. She's the, she's the wor- America's prosecutor. We got it, girl. Yeah. We got right. it. She's going to do a great job. It. Can't wait. Got you. I mean, you've enrolled yeah. me. You have enrolled me. We could I'm just like, take every person on the stage and just and like determine job. like what cabinet position you're going to be. Let's get this exactly. all over with. You I know? wish the I wish the DNC would do that. I wish they'd be like, we are so clear, we're going to win. This is the cabinet. Yeah, let's just get Among this over with and put our. You energy got twelve somebody. of them. You got twelve yeah. of them. You, yeah. you can. I think what's lots. what's also disappointing is that and. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm a little bit uh, like I was very heavily impacted by the elections in 2008 and 2012. Right. Barack Obama was a very special candidate for a lot of different reasons, obvious demographic reasons, but also because like for the first time in a long time, people were really excited about politics. Young people were excited about politics. People really felt like that the answer to our problems might come from a presidential candidate. And that was after years and years of apathy during the Bush years, going all the way back to 2000, when it was just like Gore, Bush, who cares? You know what I mean? Like young people didn't vote. They, they basically tied the Supreme. Everybody was so jaded with the process that it was really refreshing to have this time where it really was a cult of personality. It was like not just about getting rid of whoever was in office. It was about like re branding our nation, reimagining who we could be, our role in the world. And this this is severely lacking in any inspiration. There isn't one person that anybody feels like, I love this person, even Hillary people. Like, we're really enthusiastic about Hillary. That's a whole other, like, kind of difficult conversation to have, Hillary Clinton, because it's very loaded. But people who are down for Hillary were down for Hillary, and they really felt like this is our person. I don't really get the sense that anybody feels like any of those people on the stage are the person certainly not the person to lead us out of the mess that we're in you know and that's yeah. a sad position to be in i love barack obama i do and i also like felt that energy around his election but i also think a couple of things happened with his presidency which is i think a lot of people who felt energized and inspired by him um landed in this world of like realizing what a centrist is right and so a lot mm-hmm. of people got left out of um his his presidency and so i think everyone's going into this election really critical of who's going into office so you just can't ride you just can't slide through you people are a lot more engaged and critical than and wary of going with a personality um this time because well there aren't that many personalities to choose from like there is not a like i i hear your point i have a lot of issues with barack obama's presidency but i don't have any issues with his candidacy i mean in terms of a candidate that made people excited that got young people out to vote that gave a vision for some kind of future, whatever that was, whatever that message was, it landed. The presidency, yes, of course, that's what a centrist is. It's a lot of compromise. It's not the change that we were promised. But I'm just looking on this stage. I'm not thinking about people as presidents at this point, to be honest. I'm thinking about people as candidates, you know, and who's going to get people out to vote because turnout was Hillary's main problem, you know? And if you don't have someone that people are excited about, um, that's a bigger problem. To me, you know, you can't That's, just be an alternative. It's, it's obviously not enough to be an alternative to to the person who is in the White House right now, whose name I don't like to say very often on this show. 
because I don't want to give him free press. Like Voldemort. <laughs> yes, precisely. Exactly like Voldemort. Um, I mean, I, I part of the issue, and as I'm watching the debates tonight, the reason some of my interest has waned is uh, w- what I would call like this thing that Nancy Pelosi predicted, which is like Nancy Pelosi is like, uh, impeachment's a bad idea. We should focus on... Um, choosing a candidate and winning in the election. Like we don't have to have this long national process where we become even more divided and the focus is on the president and not on on the alternatives. And now that we've already started this impeachment process, that is the political discussion. And to me, the Democratic debates and any eventual Democratic nominee seems kind of irrelevant in the midst of our national political conversation because everything in the newspaper now is not about Democratic candidates for president. It's about the impeachment process. There's Uh, a way in which I just feel like the number of candidates makes that impossible. The other thing that I was going to say is I feel like Barack Obama got to emerge because there wasn't this amount of people to pay attention to. Um, I think it's hard to distinguish yourself and pull out when you have like, I think if there were less, I think these people would be making more of an impact and we would get uh, more of a of a idea of them. And I think also as a strategy, some of these candidates have chosen to run not in the media because that's not how you're going to beat Trump. Right. Who are you thinking of when you say that and what kind of strategies are you talking about? I think, for example, I think the smartest, um, the smartest um campaign so far have been Harris and Warren to me because I feel like they've done a lot more town halls than anyone else and they've and they've gone out and and so those don't get covered but they've done hundreds of those between them Um, and I think that's just the smartest strategy because in the media in the press you're not going to beat Donald Trump that's not where he's going to win that's not where you're going to win yeah you're never going to be I mean all the oxygen is sucked out of the media room you know what I'm saying? Like Trump is only one tweet away from like controlling the conversation all day long. Yeah. And there's the really no way him, to compete with that. By the time you mention him, you've already lost. Like it's not about your intelligence, your vision, yeah. or anything. It's you cannot, you you can't. And I, I also think it was, a, a, I understand why they did it, but I think it was a mistake to start this debate with him um, because that is the problem. That is absolutely the problem. Like yeah, it's really the, yeah. The, the focus has shifted, and I was very wary of that when this process whole start when this whole process started, because when I had conversations with people about the democratic field, there were people I was interested in. I was kind of like very interested in Kamala um, from the early stages. Always kind of like Warren. So I'll talk to people. Like, oh, what do you think? And the, mo- most people would say, I don't care. Just whoever's going to be the president, whoever's going to win, you know. Uh, and that's fine, but it's not really a strategy. Do you know what right. I mean? And it like, doesn't, it's, not, it's not fine. It's not a strategy. It doesn't actually move us forward. Um, and it doesn't resolve the issues that got us Trump. Yeah. It's kind of like, giving think, up on a reconciliation. It's like we're right. not going to try and address the problems that got us here, which I think was the Obama message, and that's why it resonated. They were talking about divisiveness. I mean, when he became a public figure is when he gave his address at the 2004 presidential uh, or the the Democratic National Convention um, in Boston in the midst of the George W. Bush presidency and the Iraq war back when we still only talked about like red state and blue state. But now those those words have become increasingly irrelevant just because of the Internet, I think, <laughs> and different political factions. Um, and his speech was all about like, you know, it, it sounds trite or a little naive now. But at the time, it was like, it's not red state, blue state. Right. Like we are one country. We have to like choose a vision that works for everybody. And again, as we're cynical now because we're four years or three years into a Trump presidency. Um, and that sounds a little too cute to be a platform, but it was revolutionary at the time uh, because it moved away from the old democratic strategy, which is like, well, we got enough of these states on lock. Uh, maybe if we can just like, yeah, hey, let's put North Carolina into play or something. Like, he really talked about a vision for the country. And I don't, I think that's what's lacking when you're just talking about beating a candidate, when you're just talking about beating whoever's in office, you're not presenting a vision. You're certainly not presenting a vision that lots of people can get behind. You know, but this is also the problem that we have in every presidential election, which is like at this point, no matter who the candidate is, like the the vast majority, I would say at least 90 percent of people in the country have already decided who they're going to vote for. You know what I mean? Like, right. And the majority of people are like, 
Yeah. And no one has decided that they're voting for Senator Klobuchar. Why is she on the stage? I don't. <laughs> they're out there, man. <laughs> and, she's like, and I don't know how she manages to do this, but every time there's a debate, she wears something so similar to Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> and given that Elizabeth Warren is who she attacks all the time, it couldn't be clearer. It's just like, I don't, what's happening? What's well, let's 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 uh, let's move on to your next post immediately after your heavy, heavy, sad sigh at the amount of candidates on the stage. Uh, I'll just read it the way you said it presented here without judgment or context. Travis Johnson, one hour ago. Also, comma, Beto is garbage there. I said it. So how did you arrive at this conclusion, sir? You What's know, wrong with Mr. O'Rourke? He sounds like a nice ha- Irish boy. <laughs> here's what happened. Here's what happened. So early on, he did something like cute and great. And everyone was like, I'm inspired by him. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, he lost an election, but whatever. Everyone was like, he's wonderful. And it felt like people were trying to like put him in the position of like, this cycles Obama. Like he's like this underdog who's hopeful and whatever. And so that was cute and fine. What, um, and so I just, I don't think that he's presidential. I don't think that he can win this. I think, I don't think that he even thinks that. Um, but like- How does that translate into garbage though? I mean, garbage- I'm about to tell you. I'm about to tell you. And so I think that like his, um, what sort of resonates with people about him is that he's genuine. I think people like that about this guy. I don't think that's true. I think that that's just a racket. And there was a moment in this debate where he went after Elizabeth Warren and it didn't feel genuine. It felt like a visibly fake thing that he was doing to score a point and he wasn't even good at it. And it was just like you, the one thing you had working for you is your gen, like that you're a genuine guy. You're not. This is like both. This is all performance. Um, and you're just like garb in this stage. You're garbage. A friend of mine was like, "You can't talk like that in Texas." I'm like, "I feel like I would like him in Texas. Were we in Austin and we were sharing barbecue? I think he would be great on a stage trying to convince me that you should be president when you are like you can't even argue with another human being without being false. That's like the bare minimum of this fucking yeah. job. You yeah. like get get out of here." Get out of here. It is a and little I, bit disappointing. I actually forgot he was on the stage. Until he like even made that point, I forgot that he was even there. Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, a disappointment because he was set up, as you say, to be this cycle's Obama. Because he's a he young guy. He's white Obama. Yeah. Uh, and Mayor Pete is gay Obama. I get it. <laughs> do we have to choose between white Obama and gay Obama? I guess we, we do no, not. We don't because there are ten other don't. people up there. We do not have to choose. There's so many other options. I yeah. will note there's not a dark skinned black option, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we do have to talk about the quote unquote black options um, and what Cory Booker is talking about these days. Uh, what? <laughs> how would you rate his performance on stage? I will not rate. I will not even dignify. His continuing campaign with critical thought. Why is this happening? He's not winning this. He's not added anything novel to this conversation. He has echoed everyone else. It, it, no. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, He's, part of the problem is that people are not setting themselves apart. You know, like they're they're in such a hurry no. to set themselves apart that they can't. Um, they couldn't have gotten and, like a closed door room and just worked this out. This is like a. This I think like that's a, how they did it in the old days. The proverbial smoke-filled and, rooms, and, and you know what? we it didn't works. like what came out of those. It worked. Return to the smoke-filled <laughs> rooms. <laughs> this group. This uh, this feels like a custody case in court where you're like, guys, just work it out. You're not gonna like <laughs> what we choose. It's just put the children first and decide who should run this. Just do that. I would like to see um, a think piece from you comparing the Democratic debates to family court, you know, drawing a little bit on your professional experience where it's a bunch of adults I do this arguing all the time. and they've forgotten I the do children. It all the time. I compare this presidency to like having a really um, mentally ill parent where like you are always questioning stability. Like I wake up every morning like, do we have lights today? Is America on? Because our parent <laughs> is crazy. <laughs> 
<laughs> maybe that could be the theme of your like regular contributions. You know what I mean? Like how our state of affair, political state of affairs relates to Brooklyn family court. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. I, I would love to see it. Um, yeah. Uh, Cory Booker's talking now. I, uh, I can't. And I promise you, you already know what you're saying. I promise you, you already know what he's saying. And he's like talking to someone that he's not talked to and is not addressing the question. And he's all the words are pronounced really well, um, but they mean <laughs> nothing as compared. Um, well, whatever. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> OK, I have nothing. I'll get letters. So but your Tulsi next post, Gabbard too. Cap- oh, God, yeah. Tulsi, 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 Tulsi girl. Well, she didn't. She have a bizarre turn when she was suddenly embraced by the right because she's uh, on the verge of uh, endorsing some conspiracy theories. I, yeah. I, I want to say she's she's in a little bit of trouble because she's got some strange bedfellows these days. She's she's been placed squarely in the basket of deplorables. I guess yeah, to, to borrow she, a phrase from Hillary. She's like she wasn't even going to do this debate because she's like it's a sham. <laughs> but I mean, isn't scared. it though? Like it is. But didn't you you didn't you know? Do you surprised by that? I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part no, of I my mean, her. I'm like, girl. Oh, her. Yeah. Just like, ugh. yeah, it's a sham. Go do the sham. You know what I mean? This yeah. is the dance you got to do. You have benefited from the sham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you aren't out. You aren't sham proof. Yeah. And now you're turning your back on the sham. How dare Without you? Without sham, you probably wouldn't be on the stage, 38 year olds. <laughs> yes, it's shams all the way down, madam. Yes. <laughs> you better pick that up now, or else you're never going to be president. All of you got some sham privilege working to get on this stage, yeah. the 12 of you. Uh, you also expressed uh, some dismay at support for uh, Pete Buttigieg. I'll just read what you said again, presented without context or judgment. Uh, Travis Johnson, one hour ago. Y'all still trying to make Mayor Pete happen? Sigh. Another sigh, by the way. This was your second sigh. I'm, I'm doing I a just, sigh count. What's wrong with Mayor Pete? I like Mayor I, Pete from, from the jump. I, like, it's what? not about like. I mean, because someone else said, like, who do you like? I was like, like? I would have a beer with probably most of the people on this stage. Who do I think could be president? Uh, I don't know that Mayor Pete rocks my president world. So um, what have you seen tonight that makes you think he's not that guy? He's another person that I feel like I think his strategy was to just come out swinging at Elizabeth Warren because she's it. And it didn't. none of it struck me as genuine. Some of what he was arguing, I felt like he was actually agreeing, but just sort of like being aggressive to seem like that guy. Um, and he just seems super dispassionate for me in this performance, which is I, he, that's how he strikes me at all times. Um Yeah, I mean, he is a little cerebral and like professorial. I think that's what people that was some of the criticism of him from the start, which is like he's not pounding the podium. Yeah, he's like the most like great. Like in in some ways, I look at this stage and I'm like that these people are legitimate contenders, that this diverse group of people are legitimate contenders to run for president is amazing. I will. Yes, absolutely. Um but you, I'm actually shocked at like somehow how centrist he is, despite being part of the LGBT community. I think that does not sit well with me. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's there's a long tradition of that. Like being a part like, of the LGBT community does not shape your politics. You know, it goes no. all the way back to log cabin Republicans. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that just means like rich white gay people who don't want to pay their taxes, I think is what, right. <laughs> what that tradition is. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's almost like Buttigieg is a little bit too clinical um, to take an impassioned stance. You know, he feels like there's a very like logical explanation for everything. And why can't everybody see that? Um, but I still am not to the point that I'm sighing in disappointment. Uh, I ju- for president, I'm sighing. I'm sighing. Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. It's disappointing. And and what it's forcing for me, which is a very interesting place to be in, is kind of like a return to apathy in some ways. Like when things, I, I remember this like from the Bush years at the height of the Iraq war, when it really felt apocalyptic every day in the way that it feels apocalyptic today. I know that it's hard to compare those two situations, but like as crazy as the president is and 
you know, the country that we live in and the world that we live in does feel incredibly unstable for a lot of reasons. Like, you know, the, the years of the war on terror, like that really was framed in apocalyptic terms. I mean, there were lots and lots of people dying every day all over the world as a result of bad American policy. Right. And I think that was so chaotic that it really did lead to a lot of apathy, which was this thing is so broken. Our solution is not going to come from politicians. Who knows where it's going to come from? You know, God, you know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> we'd be like, finally, like, now's a good time for the rapture um, and we'll let God sort them out. And And I get the sense now that we've returned to such a place of chaos that a lot of young people that I talk to are similarly disengaged. I won't call it a return to apathy because young people are very politically engaged, but I, I feel, I get the sense just based on those anecdotal conversations uh, that there is a return to that apathy in the sense that there is not one person who's going to save us from this. It is not the political system that is going to save us from the mess that we're in um, because we are so entrenched. And that is how I'm starting to feel, which is a little bit unnerving in some ways it's refreshing because I feel like I feel young again. I'm like, Ooh, I'm apathetic about the political process. (laughs) I'm a young person again. Um, But it also leaves me with not much. Apathy, though, I feel like this apathy, though, comes with um, so much critical thought from people that I don't think were engaged before this. And that's the reason to be hopeful. Like, there's a, like, because that, I don't feel like that apathy leads to inaction the way that it has previously. That's true. I think, I think people are looking for other ways to change it, but just sort of like realizing the limits of this system to create change. Yeah. I mean, I, I do a lot of defending, uh, young people just cause I feel like, you know, the group of people, the generation of people that we call millennials, I don't like that phrase there that much, uh, much maligned, right. They get a lot of criticism. Um, but one of my favorite things about those, that generation of people, the young people that I encounter is that they are politically engaged. They're thoughtful. Uh, My question is then, like, where is the candidate produced by that energy, right? Where is the candidate whose energy organically comes from the progress that we've made with LGBT issues over the last 10 years? Where is the candidate whose energy stems organically from Black Lives Matter, a new wave of digital feminism? Like, there's so much political energy um, that has not produced a candidate, right? It's still just like a lot of old people, you know, even the people that we call young at their youngest are Gen X. I'm not saying that we need like a 24 year old candidate. That's kind of more of a Disney movie scenario. Um, But I just don't get a person, the sense that there's a person who's speaking to that group of people, which is a huge group of politically engaged people, many of whom identify as socialists um, or social Democrats or whatever. Um, And I don't, see that energy there. I don't see anyone who's either tapping into that energy or representing it. And I think that's part of my disappointment is the most interesting things that are happening in this country politically are happening among young people and it's not on that stage. And that's probably why for me the DNC seems so fractured and why there are 12 people on this stage because all of those energies are felt here. It's sort of like um, this like debate about how left are we going to go and this fear that like we need someone who's business as usual, Biden, um, to beat Trump. You like you can't go too left, which I think a lot of like politically active millennials would like us to do, which is like it's so ironic that like it, that's Bernie, right? Like that's the guy who like yeah. I think speaks to that syndrome, like the oldest person on the stage. Arguably um, the oldest and whitest person on the stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, is like the person. Um, And I think that for me shows how not left business as usual Democrats are, which I think I was blind to before this because we don't even have space for that candidate that you're talking about. Yeah. So what is, uh, you know, I I do want to talk about Bernie because his his candidacy has taken a dramatic shift uh, since his heart attack and his like refusal to disclose elements of his health as they were happening. Uh, that seemed to be like a major, major Wait, blow in terms of. Is Biden older than Bernie? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, my guess would be that 
he is. Uh, and I know that we're tricked by the veneers uh, and everything. He's kind of got a Ronald Reagan thing where, like, you look at him and you think he's a young person. And then, like, you take off all the trappings. He's kind of doing, like, young man drag, you know, yeah. where it's, like, yeah. a really nice suit and broad shoulders and, like, lots of makeup and veneers. But, like, if you look at Bernie asleep in bed or if you look at Joe Biden asleep in bed at night, like, that's he a looks corpse. Like a that's, corpse. A, that's a corpse. Yeah, it's yeah. a corpse, yeah. uh, which I think is what was happening for Ronald Reagan. Uh yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, it's not like, oh, we can't have someone who's older be a fine president. Like, that's never really been my issue with Bernie Sanders or anybody else. And that's not even really my point about, like, who's on stage. Like I said, I don't think I need a 23-year-old candidate, but I do – I would – I am looking for someone who is speaking to that group of people, and there's not anybody up there. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, I think that's who people thought Beto was going to be. You know, um, but he has been much more he's so not. He's not yeah. at all. And I think he's like even I struggle really to even call him. I mean, I think all overall, he's probably a centrist, but I don't think policy wise that he's even that. Yeah, I mean, I there are a lot, as you guys know, I get a lot of my news from memes, and there are a lot of memes critical of Beto O'Rourke for, like, presenting himself as this, like, you know, quote-unquote hip, rad... Radical. ...candidate, you know, uh, who's really just, like, peddling centrism to the youth. He's like a bilingual youth pastor. <laughs> that is a... Well, where's that post? And now I want to see that pop up on your feed, <laughs> bilingual youth pastor. You know, and uh, bilingual youth pastors are cool, but I don't know if that's the person that we need uh, leading the Democratic Party right now. You do not. Let me go right ahead and say you don't. Yeah. So and I am interested uh, also because I do. I always want to talk about Kamala because she showed so much promise so early on. She really did seem like she was going to be that person um, who was like a fresh face because she is younger and because she's a woman of color. Um, And also she kind of played both sides. Right. She's like, I'm a prosecutor. I I have these credentials. Um, but again, her politics and her worldview did not grow out of this um, and political energy that we're seeing among young people. And I think the thing that, you know, effectively killed her candidacy is, you know, she has uh, a record as a prosecutor. She locks people up. You know, yeah. she locks up people of color. I, I was in San Francisco when she was district attorney. I thought she was a good district attorney for a lot of different reasons. We could talk about that. I have a complicated relationship to the criminal justice system. Do you? Uh, as our listeners know. Do you? Um, but, you know, I don't th- I didn't think that that necessarily disqualified her. I think that she was uniquely positioned to talk about the problems in uh, the criminal justice system. But there is so much energy among young people, which I think is wonderful energy about criminal justice reform and against mass incarceration, that she could have positioned herself as that candidate yep. in spite of the fact that she was a prosecutor. But she never did. She never kind of took that risk to talk seriously about what's wrong with the criminal justice system. And that right. kind of killed her, I, I think, yeah. you know, like she never really came back from that blow. And she doesn't sort of appeal hoping, to enough other people that she could emerge from it as a sort of like upwardly mobile, centrist, middle-class Negro um, from the South. (laughs) Like, there's a way in which she is very much appealing to me. But, I, yeah, I think um, that history of a prosecutor is like a double-edged sword um, because there definitely is a portion of democratic democrat voters who are law and order and i think that appeals to them but but i don't think that is the energy of this moment given all that we know about criminal justice and the brokenness of it um i was hoping that there was a way in which she would come out of this as critical as of her own history Mm -hmm. and sort of evolve her position and that just never happened um and so it it was for me it's sort of like the Hillary Clinton effect, which is like you have this problematic record that impacted people who you're not asking to vote for you. You need to own that and like move forward. Um, and like she just never did. Um, yeah, I don't think that was an oversight. I don't think that was an oversight. I think that was a choice. 
It was. I, it was a choice that seems to be her fear about taking that risk, right? Like, what would it mean for, you know, a younger Black woman on stage running for president to invoke the energy of Black Lives Matter? It would have right. been a huge, huge risk. Uh, it looks like it would have been the risk that would have paid off for her. Um, because as you said, Hillary Clinton's inability to talk about her past without making excuses alienated a lot of black voters and young people, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's what made the difference for her on election day. And it seems like Kamala didn't really learn from that mistake. Yeah, of, I know, think like the, the better thing to do is own your past. You the know? core DNC does not believe that they are fighting tooth and nail to resist this as even and in despite all evidence to the contrary. Um, they are they are still saying like the AOCs are too left and we can't have that. And I just I think that's just wrong thinking. Well, I think a part of it is like a, a generational hangover of Democrats who really just got worked by tough on crime Republicans in the 70s, 80s and 90s, going all the way back to like, you know, Willie Horton stuff, um, you know, hurting Dukakis. I mean, so many candidates were hurt by that. And that's why the Clintons had to position themselves as tough on crime, because there was no way to be a viable Democratic candidate without answering that charge. Regardless of the fact that that was 20 or 30 years ago, the political conversation has shifted. There's nowhere near the level of crime that there was that people thought they could use to justify um, these policies of mass incarceration. Things have changed, but it's still people from that generation who are making the decisions about what are, but, what what the messaging should be. Yeah, I was going to say, I think things have changed, but I don't think perception has. I think um, law and order folks still do a really good job of making people think that crime is a vicious epidemic that deserves this like militaristic, no-nonsense, dispassionate response um, that tends to catch up people that we in our society throw away. Um, And I'm probably a little more cynical than what you said. I think that as much as Harris's choice was a political one, I also wonder if it's not just genuinely who she is and where she's genuinely located. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason she was a prosecutor, right? Like that came from somewhere. And not a progressive one, right? Like she wasn't like a she wasn't like a compassionate prosecutor. Those exist. She was not that chick. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It's it's in her DNA and it's in her professional history. I just I I can be a little overly optimistic. And I think I was waiting for that moment. Um, I was hoping I was hoping that it would evolve um, like a good centrist. I thought she would read the room. Um, but but (laughs) you hope she would read the room like a bilingual youth preacher. (laughs) Oh, Beto, he's talking. again. I just, it's as if like Fred from Scooby-Doo went on to run for president. That is what. <laughs> well, where's the ascot? He was the one with the ascot, right? Yep. Yeah, okay. You know that somewhere I in see history is an ascot. I see you, that's not a reach. Well, in the live action film, as I recall, he was played by Freddie Prince Jr., uh, and uh, I'm getting big Freddie Prince Jr. vibes from <laughs> from Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I stand uh, there, by that comparison. Yeah. Have you, are you interested in Yang at all? Are you into the math movement? Like, oh, oh, what are your thoughts on him? I'm intrigued just because he's I'm intrigued. an outsider. I, I love most of what he says. Most. Um, He's shockingly inarticulate for someone running for president. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, I know what you mean. I'm like, this is not the gig for you, but I could, but I like want you running something. I like yeah, again, guy, you know, run, run for your cabinet table. position. Yeah, exactly. That's why that's, we have to look at this field and think about who's going to be in the cabinet. Yeah, most uh, of these people I want There's room for Yang. Yeah. Absolutely. There are ways in which I think he's brilliant, not as president of the United States. Well, I mean, I guess that all leads us to uh, the major person who we have not discussed yet, uh, who now is the front runner, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Is this someone after saying nobody else has presidential vibes? (laughs) Is this someone that you're willing to say, like, you know what? She has presidential vibes. I'm going to feel happy come November pulling the lever for her. Um, So I don't think tonight was her best showing. 
but I think that's who I'm voting for, and I think I'm voting for that. I'm voting for her confidently. I would, I feel better voting for her than I felt voting for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Am I yeah. thrilled? Am I going to be dancing in the streets the way that I was with Obama? No. But I feel secure that the lights will be on for four years. I don't Isn't that feel what that we're way after? That, the, the I don't feel we want that a responsible adult. Running the country. Um, who also and, and I think that responsibility leads her to care about everyone and not just certain groups. Um, so I do think that she will move the table forward. And for me, she feel like I felt like I emotionally voted for Obama. He was the best choice. But I feel like my feelings, my emotions um, and what that represented carried me through that. Whereas yeah. I feel like she's a logical choice. Yeah. But I think at this point, it's fine to make a logical choice. Right. Yeah. Like, yes. Particularly I'm choosing this relationship this <laughs> based on values and not passion. Which, you know, those are the ones that last, aren't they? Those are the... Those are the most successful relationships, shared values. Yes, we have shared values. We have a clear goal. We are partners. This person- keep the lights on. Yes, this person's gonna pay the bills. This person's yep. gonna come straight home from work. And passion, passion, we can figure that out later. <laughs> I ain't gotta monitor Twitter for no nonsense. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've been enthusiastic about Warren from the beginning, personally, be, partly because when the field was somehow even more crowded, sh the way that she set herself apart was that she's, and people say this about her all the time because it's true, is because she's policy driven, right? Right. Anytime one of these things comes up, she's like, you know what? I got a plan for that. I got a plan for that. And when she explains her plan, is it the plan that I would come up with? No. Are there issues? I, do I have objections to it? You know, sometimes, sure. But the idea that she's approaching these things with not necessarily, you know, rhetoric or trying to steal the spotlight, um, she's trying to make a plan. That seems like a responsible adult to me who's thought this thing through. And there aren't that many she people up there that I feel feels, that way about. She definitely feels data driven, which is boring. But very comforting. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 they are finally winding down, uh, which really, it feels like mercy at this point. You know, that it's but I like, feel like <laughs> this just means we have to have like another one of these. Uh, yeah, it does. Like the, the fact that this one is ending really doesn't mean much at all. It means that we're just yep. gearing up for the next one and hoping that some people aren't able to raise enough money <laughs> to be there next time. I need. I just need them to go figure it out, guys. Well, part of the problem of a crowded field, having a debate with a crowded field is that everyone is fighting for a soundbite. You know what I mean? Like you have to fight for attention, which doesn't really lend itself to thoughtful debate. You know, like I remember watching so many different times, you know, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, like sitting down and having conversations about their policy differences and their visions yeah. for the country. You got you know? to dig in. There's no yeah. digging in happening here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I get, I mean, the consensus, I guess, is a return to the smoke filled rooms that always worked in the past, I guess. I'm, I mean, they don't even have to be filled with smoke. They could, you could drink, you could vape. I don't care. Vape juice. Just, yeah. Maybe some, just, yeah, some vapor in the room. You could go to yoga together, do trust falls. I don't know. Retreat, yeah. spa day, whatever your bag is, DNC, pull these people together and Figure it out. Yeah. I wonder if this crowded field also has to do with the amount of criticism they got um, four years ago for actively trying to suppress Bernie Sanders as a candidate and promote Hillary yep. Clinton as a candidate, that there's a, yes. a per perception, a realistic perception that they are kingmakers. There's and, an accurate op accurate observation yeah. that they were biased for Hillary Clinton yeah. because the Clintons ran the show. Yeah. yeah, so maybe they thought like, oh, let's take a step back and let the chaos unfold and then people I will be would begging say they overcorrected. Yes, this is definitely an overcorrection. <laughs> um, but I am fighting off the apathy. Um, we we do have to wind down, but I want to thank you. I mean, it was pretty miraculous that we were able to run down nearly everyone on stage in 45 minutes with pithy dismissals and um, some You know who we didn't critiques. talk about? The billionaire. Uh, we talk, oh, well, yeah, then go for it. Tell us. I mean, I literally have nothing to say about him because what <laughs> the entire fuck. His entire platform is like, I'm a good billionaire. I believe we should be taxed. But the, he's like on this fucking stage for the first time. Like he came like, guys, really? Yeah. He didn't it's have to go through a... the hell of the other debates. He just like rolled up on this stage. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that comes with being a billionaire. You just buy your way in. That's really like, how they're determining who should be here. Yeah. It's sort of re- like it's. Well, there is that like billionaire God complex, you know, like we encountered that with Ross Perot many, many years ago where he was like, I should be president because I'm a billionaire. And then people were like, OK, I mean, man, if you can make a billion dollars, why couldn't you be president? It kind of was Trump's entire platform. Yeah. Although I don't think he ever made the B. I think he's a just an M M millionaire. I certainly not a B millionaire. Yeah. But he convinced people that he was a B. That's true. He did enough smoke and mirrors uh, that people were, you know. And, and at that point, if you think about what the majority of people are making in this country, you're like, what is the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire? Yeah, I don't even know what a million <laughs> it's, dollars it's does. So far, it's so it far removed not, from my it's reality. Not real. It's not yeah, real. Like, I don't I'll know take, what that I'll does. take a millionaire. Like, I'll take something like, you own a home? You're like, yeah, okay, you can be president. I know what 1999 <laughs> does. I do not know what a million dollars does. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, there are there are other people up on the stage. We haven't talked about Mr. Castro. Um, but, I, you know, I hesitate to say this. Uh, our, uh, I, I don't think they're worth the airspace on television right now. No personal Agreed. disrespect to Julian Castro. So I, I don't have much more to say about Julian Castro except that I'll I mean, see you. I'll see you in the cabinet. Back? He wants. You want to run head again? You seem yeah. like you were great at that. That's yeah. Just great. put him back you, in there. He's got some experience. You didn't have to put us through this for that. You yeah. didn't have to make us. Well, the real question is, I mean, if if we are talking about these three candidates who have emerged, right? It looks like it's a it's a Biden, Bernie, Warren situation. Uh, we still presumably are pulling a vice president from this field. And what do those pairings look like? I mean, this is a lot of like imaginary future projection, but since we're picking cabinet members, I think it's fair to say that too. Um, And you have to have demographic considerations. You don't want to have two really old white people up there uh, on the ticket. Uh, so what does that look like? I mean, then it's like, ooh, do you, two women, right? Like I would think like a Warren, if I were really picking a ticket right now, I, I think like a Warren Kamala ticket is like <laughs> that. That's a winning ticket to me. But are people doing the calculus? I agree with like, you. I think that yeah. is a winning ticket. Though personally, I really want her to be America's prosecutor because I think she'd be fucking great. Yeah, I mean that's I the also, position she's I running also for. Like Kamala in Congress, like I think that she does great there. Yeah, but whatever. Um, I could. I would love a Warren Castro ticket. Okay. Yeah. I could get behind that. I think that could work. He could I be mean, groomed. Yeah, I mean, Castro, it, you know, I hesitate to make this comparison because I, I don't want to, like, you know, denigrate Castro or anything. But he definitely has, like, a young, Latino, less creepy, kind of like Huckabee, or not Huckabee. A <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely, definitely not Huckabee. Um, but he has like a very like a sidekick kind of vibe. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where he's like he's yes. like willing to go along with the show. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Where he's like, oh, you picked me up. He's like, hey, what's your policy? That's my policy now. <laughs> I got your back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have you thought about just spitballing here? He's like that guy. I have no problem with that. Yeah, I like that. And I think he may even be intentionally positioning himself in that role. You know, Hopefully. it wouldn't be that surprising. I will say that like I recognize that it's a it's a Biden. Warren, Warren, um, oh my God, if that's, if that's the, if that's the, oh yeah, yeah. I do, like, I think that's the three. Um, I, and I know the polls call for that. I just don't think Biden should be at the table either. Yeah. I mean, none of these people really actually fundamentally bother me. Like when I look at this field, I really think that there's redemptive value in all of them. I agree with what you're saying where people are disappointing for different reasons. But if I really, really think about these candidates objectively, I think like, okay, I understand the position that you're coming from. I think there's a way for you to be a candidate. If I forget about winning and I just think about like a person I feel comfortable voting with most people on the stage, I feel that way. Biden is the one person where I'm just like, I can't do it, man. I just can't do it. I can't see it. I can't envision it. It's bad vibes. It's a step backwards. It's the and same it's kind the of feeling. second time that the DNC has told us this is the only person that can win. And, and I actually think, similarly to Hillary, this is like the only person that can't win. Yeah. Yeah. There's too much baggage. He has the same baggage. He has exactly, he has the Hillary problem. And it's the same feeling, you know, everything I'm describing about this this aversion to Biden is the same kind of stuff I felt about 
the aversion I felt for Hillary four years ago and even eight years ago, to be honest, which is like this feels like a big centrist step backwards. And if we're talking about the future, we have to move on. And that's not even that's not a dig on Hillary. That's not even necessarily a dig on Biden. I just mean, like thinking seriously about what the next step is that ain't and where voters are and what people are actually saying with their votes. Yeah, it's not. I don't think that is what voters are asking the DNC to be. No, no. But I think Warren has some of that. You know, Warren does have different ideas. She's got a platform that's just not about beating the incumbent. Um, And I do think it is important in the same way that when we talked about Hillary, like, you know, it's we've never had a female president like that's we have to just say that. And the fact that she is like an incredibly qualified, strong candidate with ideas and a lot of like um, instincts for leadership um, is important. And that should be part of it. And we would not be groundbreaking by having a woman president. Most of the world that has presidents have had a woman president. It's way, way, way past, like that conversation is so far, but you know, it's like, it's embarrassing that we have never had a female president. Uh, And that's fully acknowledged. And I think that's why it was so difficult to have a hard time with Hillary four years ago, because it felt like it is, it is time. It's past time. Um, And it was just unfortunate that it was a person that had so much personal and professional baggage. Um, But Warren does not have that. You know, and I think that that can also get a lot of people out to vote. You know what I mean? I think the fact that she's a woman, the fact that she is this person without baggage, a person who's policy driven, you know, she feels the most honestly, when I look at the stage, she she feels the most legit to me. She feels the most presidential out of everybody on the stage. And I'm I'm fine with that. You know, I'm, I'm I'd be happy to see a president more. And I felt like that for a while. You know, it doesn't feel like a compromise. Most other things feel like a compromise. All right. Well, there you have it. Warren 2020. (laughs) This is not an official endorsement from Questown Media or Margin Call. This is just where we've arrived at the end of this conversation. I know we're not alone. She's the front runner, but she's the front runner for a reason. Um, And I think it's. And we'll get to have this conversation probably two more times because they'll probably have two more debates before this fucking thing is over. At least before. I mean, we're going to have before we even get to Iowa. You know, that's when people really start dropping off. Once we start, once we have a caucus. We're really going to get down to three, I mean, God willing, three or four people. Um, and then we can have a real conversation about policy. And then we'll have a whole other 11 months to have a conversation about electability and whatever skeletons people have in their closet. Yes. Yes. The good uh, stuff. So, <laughs> Travis, thank you. Thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you. My pleasure. Uh, These are always fun. Please continue to post because you did help to frame our conversation tonight by giving your live updates and observations uh, with, you know, an appropriate amount of sass, I think. Thank you. I always appreciate one of my favorite That could be my cabinet. I could be Secretary of Sass. Secretary of Sass. Travis Johnson, Secretary of Sass. Um, All right. Uh, Thanks to you, Travis. Thanks to you, Eming. And thanks to all our listeners. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, quest on, everybody. This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California. 